Kate here, Saints. You're listening to Read Like a Lutheran on Double-Edged Sword, our Lenten read through the Book of Concord. If you'd like a copy of the schedule, you can find it in the show notes, or you can get a copy by contacting Pastor Kilgo at kilgosr at gmail.com. May you be richly blessed as you meditate on these confessions of the Lutheran Church. The Large Catechism of Dr. Martin Luther, Part 3, The Lord's Prayer, Introduction, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th Articles. The Lord's Prayer We have now heard what we must do and believe, in what things the best and happiest life consists. Now follows the third part, how we ought to pray. For we are in a situation where no person can perfectly keep the Ten Commandments, even though he has begun to believe. The devil, with all his power, together with the world and our own flesh, resists our efforts. Therefore, nothing is more necessary than that we should continually turn towards God's ear, call upon him, and pray to him. We must pray that he would give, preserve, and increase faith in us and the fulfillment of the Ten Commandments. We pray that he would remove everything that is in our way and that opposes us in these matters, so that we might know what and how to pray our Lord Christ has himself taught us both the way and the words, as we shall see. But before we explain the Lord's Prayer part by part, it is most necessary first to encourage and stir people to prayer, as Christ and the Apostles also have done. And the first thing to know is that it is our duty to pray because of God's commandment. For that's what we heard in the second commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We are required to praise that holy name and call upon it in every need, or to pray. To call upon God's name is nothing other than to pray. Prayer is just as strictly and seriously commanded as all other commandments, to have no other God, to not kill, not to steal, and so on. Let no one think that it makes no little difference whether he prays or not. Common people think this, who grope in such delusion and ask, Why should I pray? Who knows whether God heeds or will hear my prayer? If I do not pray, someone else will. And so they fall into the habit of never praying. They build a false argument as though we taught that there is no duty or need for prayer because we reject false and hypocritical prayers. But it is certainly true that the prayers that have been offered up till now when men were babbling and bawling in the churches were not prayers. Such outward matters of prayer, when they are properly done, may be a good exercise for young children, scholars, and simple persons. They may be called singing or reading, but not really praying. But praying, as the second commandment teaches, is to call upon God in every need. He requires this of us all, and has not left it to our choice but it is our duty and obligation to pray, if we were to be Christians, just as it is our duty and obligation to obey our parents in the government. For by calling upon God's name and praying, his name is honored and used well. This you must note above all other things, so that you may silence and reject thoughts that would keep and deter us from prayer. It would be useless for a son to say to his father, 
What good does my obedience do me? I will go and do what I can. It makes no difference. But there stands the commandment. You shall and must obey. So here prayer is not left to my will to do it or to leave it undone, but it shall and must be offered at the risk of God's wrath and displeasure. This point is to be understood and noted before everything else. Then, by this, we may silence and cast away the thoughts that would keep and deter us from praying, as though it does not matter if we do not pray, or as though prayer was commanded for those who are holier and in better favor than God as we are. Indeed, the human heart is by nature so hopeless that it always flees from God and imagines that he does not wish or desire our prayer, because we are sinners and have earned nothing but wrath. Against such thoughts, I say, we should remember this commandment and turn to God, so that we may not stir up his anger more by such disobedience. For by this commandment, God lets us plainly understand that he will not cast us away from him or chase us away. This is true even though we are sinners, but instead he draws us to himself, so that we might humble ourselves before him, bewail this misery and plight of ours, and pray for grace and help. Therefore we read in the scriptures that he is also angry with those who were punished for their sin, because they did not return to him, and by their prayers turn away from his wrath and seek his grace. Now, from the fact that prayer is so solemnly commanded, you are to conclude and think that no one should in any way despise his prayer. Instead, he should count on prayer. He should always turn to an illustration from the other commandments. A child should in no way despise his obedience to father and mother, but should always think, This work is a work of obedience. What I do, I do for no other reason than that I may walk in the obedience and commandments of God. On this obedience I can settle and stand firm, and I can value it as a great thing, not because of my worldliness, but because of the commandment. So here also we should think about the words we pray and the things that we pray for as things demanded by God and done in obedience to Him. We should think, on my account, this prayer would amount to nothing, but it shall succeed because God has commanded it. Therefore, everybody, no matter what he has to say in prayer, should always come before God in obedience to this commandment. We pray, therefore, and encourage everyone most diligently to take this counsel to heart, and by no means to despise our prayer. For up to now it has been taught in the devil's name that no one should think about these things. People thought it was enough to have done the act of praying, whether God would hear it or not. But that is staking prayer on a risk and murmuring it at a venture. Therefore it is a lost prayer. For we let thoughts like these lead us astray and stop us. I am not holy or worthy enough. If I were as godly and holy as St. Peter or St. Paul, then I would pray. But put such thoughts away, for the same commandment that applied to St. Paul applies also to me. The second commandment is given as much on my account as on his account, so that Paul can boast about no better or holier commandment. You should say, My prayer is as precious, holy, and pleasing to God is that of St. Paul or the most holy saints. This is the reason. I will gladly grant that Paul is personally more holy, but that's not because of the commandment. God does not consider prayer because of the person, but because of his word in obedience to it. For I rest my prayer on the same commandment on which all the saints rest their prayer. Furthermore, I pray for the same thing that they all pray for and always have prayed. 
Besides, I have just a great and need of what I pray for, as those great saints know even a greater one than they. Let this be the first and most important point, that all our prayers must be based and rest upon obedience to God, regardless of who we are, whether we are sinners or saints, worthy or unworthy. We must know that God will not have our prayer treated as a joke, but he will be angry and punish all who do not pray, just as surely as he punishes all other disobedience. Furthermore, he will not allow our prayers to be in vain or lost. For if he did not intend to answer your prayer, he would not ask you to pray and add such a severe commandment to it. In the second place, we should be more encouraged and moved to pray because God has also added a promise and declared that it shall surely be done for us as we pray. He says in Psalm 50, Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you. And Christ says in the Gospel of St. Matthew, Ask, and it will be given to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Such promises certainly ought to encourage and enkindle our hearts to pray with pleasure and delight. For he testifies with his own word that our prayer is heartily pleasing to him. Furthermore, it shall be certainly heard and granted, in order that we may not despise it or think lightly of it and pray based on chance. You can raise this point with him and say, Here I come, dear Father, and pray, not because of my own purpose or because of my own worthiness, but I pray because of your commandment and promise, which cannot fail or deceive me. Whoever, therefore, who does not believe this promise, must note again that he outrages God like a person who thoroughly dishonors him and accuses him of falsehood. Besides this, we should be moved and drawn to prayer, for in addition to this commandment and promise, God expects us, and he himself arranges the words and form of prayer for us. He places them on our lips for how and what we should pray, so that we may see how heartily he pities us in our distress and we may never doubt that such prayer is pleasing to him, and shall certainly be answered. This is the Lord's Prayer, and it is a great advantage indeed over all the other prayers that we might compose ourselves. For in our own prayers the conscience would ever be in doubt and say, I have prayed, but who knows if it pleases him, or whether I have hit upon the right proportions and form. Therefore there is no nobler prayer to be found upon earth than the Lord's Prayer. We pray it daily because it has this excellent testimony that God loves to hear it. We ought not to surrender this for all the riches of the world. The Lord's Prayer has also been prescribed so that we should see and consider the distress that ought to drive and compel us to pray without ceasing. For whoever would pray must have something to present, state, and name, which he desires. If he does not, it cannot be called a prayer. We have rightly rejected the prayers of monks and priests who howl and growl day and night like fiends, but none of them think of praying for a hair's breadth of anything. If we would assemble all the churches together with all churchmen, they would be bound to confess that they have never from the heart prayed for even a drop of wine. For none of them has ever intended to pray from obedience to God and faith in His promise. No one has thought about any need, but when they had done their best, they thought no further than this to do a good work by which they might repay God. They were unwilling to take anything from him, but wished only to give him something. But where there is to be a true prayer, there must be seriousness. People must feel their distress, and such distress presses them and compels them to call and cry out. Then prayer will be made willingly, as it ought to be. 
People will need no teaching about how to prepare for it and to reach the proper devotion, but the distresses that ought to concern us most, both for ourselves and everyone, you will find abundantly set forth in the Lord's Prayer. Therefore, this prayer also serves as a reminder so that we meditate on it and lay it to heart and do not fail to pray. For we all have enough things that we lack. The great problem is that we do not feel or recognize this. Therefore, God also requires that you weep and ask for such needs and wants, not because he does not know them, but so that you may kindle your heart to stronger and greater desires and make wide and open your cloak to receive much. Every one of us should form the daily habit from his youth of praying for all his needs. He should pray whenever he notices anything affecting his interests or that of other people among whom he may live. He should pray for preachers, the government, neighbors, household servants, and always, as we have said, to hold up God and his commandment and promise, knowing that he will not have them disregarded. This I say because I would like to see these things brought home again to the people, so that they might learn to pray truly and not go about coldly and indifferently. They become daily more unfit for prayer because of indifference. That is just what the devil desires, and for which he works with all his powers. He is well aware what damage and harm it does to him when prayer is done properly. We need to know this. All our shelter and protection rest in prayer alone. For we are far too weak to deal with the devil and all his power and followers who set themselves against us. They might easily crush us under their feet. Therefore, we must consider and take up those weapons with which Christians must be armed in order to stand against the devil. For what do you imagine has done such great things up till now? What has stopped or quelled the counsels, purposes, murder, and riot of our enemies by which the devil thought he would crush us together with the gospel. It was the prayer of a few godly people standing in the middle like an iron wall for our side. Otherwise, they would have witnessed a far different tragedy. They would have seen how the devil would have destroyed all Germany in its own blood. But now our enemies may confidently ridicule prayer and make a mockery of it. However, we shall still be a match both for them and the devil by prayer alone if we only persevere diligently and do not become slack. For wherever a godly Christian prays, Dear Father, let your will be done. God speaks from on high and says, Yes, dear child, it shall be so, in spite of the devil and all the world. Let this be said as encouragement, so that people may learn, first of all, to value prayer as something great and precious, and to make a proper distinction between babbling and praying for something. For we by no means reject prayer, we reject the bare, useless howling and murmuring, as Christ himself also rejects and prohibits long, idle talk. Now we shall most briefly and clearly explain the Lord's Prayer. Here there is included in seven successive articles or petitions every need that never ceases to apply to us. Each is so great that it ought to drive us to keep praying the Lord's Prayer all our lives. The First Petition Hallowed Be Thy Name this is indeed somewhat difficult and not expressed in good German. For in our mother tongue we would say, Heavenly Father, help us in every way so that your name may be holy. But what does it mean to pray that his name may be holy? Is it not holy already? Answer, yes, it is always holy in its nature, but in our use it is not holy. 
for God's name was given to us when we became Christians and were baptized. So we are called God's children and have the sacraments by which he connects us with himself so that everything that belongs to God must serve for our use. Now here is a great need that we ought to be most concerned about. This name should have its proper honor. It should be valued holy and grand as the greatest treasure and holy thing that we have. As godly children, we should pray that God's name, which is already holy in heaven, may also be and remain holy with us upon earth and in all the world. But how does it become holy among us? Answer as plainly as it can be said, when both our doctrine and life are godly and Christian. Since we call God our Father in this prayer, it is our duty always to act and behave ourselves as godly children, that he may not receive shame, but honor and praise from us. Now God's name is profaned by us, either through our words or in our works. For whatever we do upon the earth must either be words or works, speech or act. In the first place, then, God's name is profaned when people preach, teach, and say, in God's name, what is false and misleading. They use his name like an ornament and attract a market for falsehood. That is, indeed, the greatest way to profane and dishonor the divine name. Furthermore, men, by swearing, cursing, conjuring, and other such actions, grossly abuse the holy name as a cloak for their shame. In the second place, God's name is profaned by an openly wicked life and works. When those who are called Christians and God's people are adulterers, drunkards, misers, enviers, and slanderers. Here again, God's name must come to shame and be profaned because of us. It is a shame and disgrace for a flesh and blood father to have a bad, perverse child that opposes him in words and deeds. Because of that child, the father suffers contempt and reproach. In the same way, also, it brings dishonor upon God if we are called by his name and have all kinds of goods from him. Yet we teach, speak, and live in any other way than as godly and heavenly children. People would say about us that we must not be God's children, but the devil's children. So you see that in this petition we pray for exactly what God demands in the second commandment. We pray that his name not be taken in vain to curse, swear, lie, deceive, and so on, but be used well for God's praise and honor. For whoever uses God's name for any sort of wrong profanes and desecrates this holy name. This is how it used to be when a church was considered desecrated, when a murderer or any other crime had been committed in it, or a monstrance or relic was desecrated, as though they were holy in themselves, when they became unholy by misuse. So this point is easy and clear if only the language is understood. To hallow means the same as to praise, magnify, and honor, both in word and deed. Here now learn what great need there is for such prayer, because we see how full the world is of sects and false teachers, who all wear the holy name as a cover and sham for their doctrines of devils. We should by all means pray without ceasing and cry out and call upon God against all people who preach and believe falsely. We should pray against whatever opposes and persecutes our gospel and pure doctrine and would suppress it, as do the bishops, tyrants, enthusiasts, and such. Likewise, we should pray for ourselves who have God's word, but are not thankful for it, nor live like we ought according to the word. If you pray for this with your heart, you can be sure that it pleases God, 
for he will not hear anything more dear to him than that his honor and praise is exalted above everything else, and that his word is taught in its purity and is considered precious and dear. The Second Petition Thy Kingdom Come In the first petition we prayed about God's honor and name. We prayed that he would prevent the world from adorning its lies and wickedness with God's name, but that he would cause his name to be valued as great and holy, both in doctrine and life, so that he may be praised and magnified in us. Here we pray that his kingdom also may come. But just as God's name is holy in itself, and we still pray that it be holy among us, so also his kingdom comes of itself, without our prayer. Yet we still pray that it may come to us, that is, triumph among us and with us, so that we may be a part of those people among whom his name is hallowed and his kingdom prospers. But what is God's kingdom? Answer, nothing other than what we learned in the creed. God sent his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, into the world to redeem and deliver us from the devil's power. He sent him to bring us to himself and to govern us as a king of righteousness, life, and salvation against sin, death, and an evil conscience. For this reason, he has also given his Holy Spirit, who is to bring these things home to us by his holy word and to illumine and strengthen us in the faith by his power. We pray here in the first place that this may happen with us. We pray that his name may be so praised through God's holy word and a Christian life that we who have accepted it may abide and daily grow in it and that it may gain approval and acceptance among other people. We pray that it may go forth with power throughout the world. We pray that many may find entrance into the kingdom of grace, be made partakers of redemption, and be led to it by the Holy Spirit so that we may all together remain forever in the one kingdom now begun. For the coming of God's kingdom to us happens in two ways, here in time through the word and faith, and in eternity forever through revelation. Now we pray for both these things. We pray that the kingdom may come to those who are not yet in it, and by daily growth that it may come to us who have received it, both now and hereafter in eternal life. All this is nothing other than saying, Dear Father, we pray, give us first your word, so that the gospel may be preached properly throughout the world. Second, may the gospel be received in faith and work and live in us, so that through the word and the Holy Spirit's power, your kingdom may triumph among us. And we pray that the devil's kingdom be put down, so that he may have no right or power over us, until at last his power may be utterly destroyed so sin, death, and hell shall be exterminated. Then we may live forever in perfect righteousness and blessedness. From this you see that we do not pray here for a crust of bread or a temporal perishable good. Instead, we pray for an eternal, inestimable treasure and everything that God himself possesses. This is far too great for any human heart to think about desiring if God had not himself commanded us to pray for the same. But because he is God, he also claims the honor of giving much, much more and more abundantly than anyone can understand. He is like an eternal, unfailing fountain. The more it pours forth and overflows, the more it continues to give. God desires nothing more seriously from us than that we ask him for much and great things. In fact, he is angry if we do not ask and pray confidently. 
It's like a time when the richest and most mighty emperor would tell a poor beggar to ask whatever he might desire. The emperor was ready to give great royal presents, but the fool would only beg for a dish of gruel. That man would rightly be considered a rogue and a scoundrel, who treated the command of his imperial majesty like a joke and a game and was not worthy of coming into his presence. In the same way, it is a great shame and dishonor to God if we, to whom he offers and pledges so many inexpressible treasures, despise the treasures or do not have the confidence to receive them, but hardly dare to pray for a piece of bread. All this is the fault of shameful unbelief that does not even look to God for enough decent food to satisfy the stomach. How much less does such unbelief expect to receive eternal treasures from God without doubt? Therefore we must strengthen ourselves against such doubt, and let this be our first prayer. Then indeed we shall have everything else in abundance, as Christ teaches, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. For how could he allow us to suffer lack, and to be desperate for temporal things, when he promises to give us what is eternal, and never perishes? The Third Petition Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So far we have prayed that God's name be honored by us, and that his kingdom triumph among us. In these two points is summed up all that deals with God's honor and our salvation. We receive God as his own and all his riches. But now arises a need that is just as great. We must firmly keep God's honor and our salvation and not allow ourselves to be torn from them. In a good government, it is not only necessary that there be those who build and govern well, it is also necessary to have those who defend, offer protection, and maintain it firmly. So in God's kingdom, although we have prayed for the greatest need, for the gospel, faith, and the Holy Spirit, that he may govern us and redeem us from the devil's power, we must also pray that God's will be done. For there will be strange events if we are to abide in God's will. We shall have to suffer many thrusts and blows on that account from everything that seeks to oppose and prevent the fulfillment of the first two petitions. No one can believe how the devil opposes and resists these prayers. He cannot allow anyone to teach or to believe rightly. It hurts him beyond measure to have his lies and abominations exposed, which have been honored under the most fancy sham uses of the divine name. It hurts him when he himself is disgraced, driven out of the heart, and has to let a breach be made in his kingdom. Therefore he chafes and rages as a fierce enemy with all his power and might. He marshals all his subjects and, in addition, enlists the world and our own flesh as his allies. For our flesh is, in itself, lazy and inclined to evil. Even though we have accepted and believe God's word, the world, however, is perverse and wicked. So he provokes the world against us, fans and stirs the fire, so that he may hinder and drive us back, cause us to fail, and again bring us under his power. Such is all his will, mind, and thought. He strives for this day and night and never rests a moment. He uses all arts, wiles, ways, and means that he can invent. If we would be Christians, therefore, we must surely expect and count on having the devil with all his angels and the world as our enemies. They will bring every possible misfortune and grief upon us, for where God's word is preached, accepted, or believed, and produces fruit, there the holy cross cannot be missing. And let no one think that he shall have peace. 
he must risk whatever he has upon earth, possessions, honor, house, and estate, wife and children, body and life. Now this hurts our flesh and the old Adam. The test is to be steadfast and to suffer with patience, in whatever way we are assaulted, and to let go whatever is taken from us. So there is just as great a need as in all the other petitions that we pray without ceasing. Dear Father, your will be done. Not the devil's will or our enemies or anything that would persecute and suppress your holy word or hinder your kingdom. Grant that we may bear with patience and overcome whatever is to be endured because of your word and kingdom, so that our poor flesh may not yield or fall away because of weakness or sluggishness. Look, we have in these three petitions, in the simplest way, the needs that relate to God himself. Yet they are all for our sakes. Whatever we pray concerns us alone. As we have said before, we pray that what must be done without us anyway may also be done in us. As his name must be hallowed and his kingdom come whether we pray or not, so also his will must be done and succeed. This is true even though the devil with all his followers raise up a great riot are angry and rage against it, and try to exterminate the gospel completely. But for our own sakes we must pray that, even against their fury, his will be done without hindrance among us also. We pray so that they may not be able to accomplish anything, and that we may remain firm against all violence and persecution and submit to God's will. Such prayer, then, is to be our protection and defense now. It is to repel and put down all that the devil, pope, bishops, tyrants, and heretics can do against our gospel. Let them all rage and attempt their utmost, and deliberate and resolve how many they may suppress and exterminate us, so that their will and counsel may prevail. Over and against this one or two Christians with this petition alone shall be our wall, against which they shall run and dash themselves to pieces. We have this comfort and confidence, the devil's will and purpose, and all our enemies shall and must fall and come to nothing, no matter how proud, secure, and powerful they know themselves to be. For if their will were not broken and hindered, God's kingdom could not remain on earth, nor his name be hallowed. The Fourth Petition Give us this day our daily bread. Here now we consider the poor breadbasket the necessities of our body and of the temporal life. It is a brief and simple word, but it has a very wide scope. For when you pray and mention daily bread, you pray for everything that is necessary in order to have and enjoy daily bread. On the other hand, you also pray against everything that interferes with it. Therefore, you must open wide and extend your thoughts not only to the oven or the flour bin, but also to the distant field and the entire land which bears and brings to us daily bread and every sort of nourishment. For if God did not cause food to grow, and he did not bless and preserve it in the field, we could never take bread from the oven or have any to set upon the table. To sum things up, this petition includes everything that belongs to our entire life in the world, for we need daily bread because of life alone. It is not only necessary for our life that our body have food and clothes and other necessities, it is also necessary that we spend our days in peace and quiet among the people with whom we live and have dealings in daily business and conversation and all sorts of doings. In short, the petition applies both to the household and also to the neighborly or civil relationship and government. 
where these two things are hindered so that they do not prosper as they should, the necessaries of life are also hindered. Ultimately, life cannot be maintained. There is, indeed, the greatest need to pray for earthly authority and government. By them, most of all, God preserves for us our daily bread and all the comforts of this life. Though we have received from God all good things in abundance, we are not able to keep any of them or use them in security and happiness if he did not give us a permanent and peaceful government. For where there are dissensions, strife, and war, there the daily bread is already taken away or is at least hindered. It would be very proper to place on the coat of arms of every pious prince a loaf of bread instead of a lion or a wreath of herbs. Or one could impress it on money. This would remind both princes and their subjects that by their office we have protection and peace. Without them, we could not eat and keep our daily bread. Therefore, princes are also worthy of all honor. We should give to them for their office what we ought and can, as to people through whom we enjoy what we have in peace and quietness. Otherwise, we would not keep a farthing. In addition, we should also pray for them, that through them God may bestow on us more blessings and goods. Let this be a very brief explanation and sketch, showing how far this petition extends, through all conditions on earth. On this topic, anyone might indeed make a long prayer with many words one could list all the things that are included, like when we ask God to give us food and drink, clothing, house and home, and health of body, or when we ask that he cause the grain and the fruit of the field to grow and mature well. Furthermore, we ask that he help us at home with good housekeeping, and that he give and preserve for us a godly wife, children, and servants. We ask that he cause our work, trade, or whatever we are engaged in to prosper and succeed, favor us with faithful neighbors and good friends, and other such things. Likewise, we ask that he give wisdom, strength, and success to emperors, kings, and all estates, and especially to the rulers of our country and to all counselors, magistrates, and officers. Then they may govern well and vanquish the Turks and all enemies. We ask that he give to subjects and the common people obedience, peace, and harmony in their life with one another. On the other hand, we ask that he would preserve us from all sorts of disaster to body and livelihood, like lightning, hail, fire, flood, poison, plague, cattle, disease, war, and bloodshed, famine, destructive beasts, wicked men, and so forth. It is well to impress all this upon the common people. These things come from God and must be prayed for by us. But this petition is especially directed also against our chief enemy, the devil. For all his thought and desire is to deprive us of all that we have from God, or to hinder it. He is not satisfied to obstruct and destroy spiritual government by leading souls astray with his lies and bringing them under his power. He also prevents and hinders the stability of all government and honorable, peaceful relations on earth. There he causes so much contention, murder, treason, and war. He also causes lightning and hail to destroy grain and cattle, to poison the air, and so on. In short, he is sorry if anyone has a morsel of bread from God and eats it in peace. If it were in his power and our prayer next to God did not prevent him, we would not keep a straw in the field, a farthing in the house, 
yes, not even our life, for an hour. This is especially true of those who have God's word and would like to be Christians. You see, in this way, God wishes to show us how he cares for us all in our need and faithfully provides also for our earthly support. He abundantly grants and preserves these things, even for the wicked and rogues. Yet he wishes that we pray for these goods in order that we may recognize that we receive them from his hand and may feel his fatherly goodness towards us in them. For when he withdraws his hand, nothing can prosper or be maintained in the end. Indeed, we daily see this and experience it. How much trouble there is now in the world, only on account of bad coins, daily oppression, raising of prices in common trade, and bargaining and labor by those who greedily oppress the poor and deprive them of their daily bread. This we must suffer indeed, but let such people take care, so that they do not lose the benefits of common intercession. Let them beware, lest this petition in the Lord's Prayer speak against them. Thanks again for listening to Read Like a Lutheran on Double-Edged Sword. If you're in the Lawrence area, please consider joining us for church on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have a variety of Bible studies available, which you can find by visiting our website at redeemer-lawrence.org. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact us. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in his mercy.